Let's open our Bibles tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and let us look at that 7th verse again for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul draws a summary to differences that arise between church members, and he said there is a very simple way that we could solve them all. And he gives the explanation in the 7th verse. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, Because ye go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? This would be a solution for all the differences in a church or a family if each person had the ability and the knowledge within them to take the wrong and to suffer being defrauded. There'd never be a difference to arise. Because the victim would go ahead and allow it, and there wouldn't really be one. And differences would be put away. The apostle says, why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? And there is a reason why we don't. And it's pride. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, search our hearts and know us, O Lord. Try us and know our thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way of pride in us. And lead us in the way everlasting. O Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The only reason that faults and differences arise between men that are not easily solved is because of pride. And we want to look at pride tonight. What is pride? It's a high or an overweening opinion of your own qualities, your own attainments, or your own estate, which gives rise to a feeling and attitude of superiority over others and contempt for others. It's inordinate self-esteem, too much self-esteem. When you look in the Bible, here are some of the synonyms that God gives us about pride. He uses synonyms arrogancy, haughtiness, conceit, Loftiness, high-minded, glory, stoutness of heart, a lifted-up heart, and being puffed up. Those are synonyms the Bible uses for this thing called pride, which is having too high of an opinion of yourself so that it gets you in trouble relating to others, gets you in trouble relating to the Lord, and gets you in trouble making decisions. Pride is very destructive to your well-being doesn't hurt us all that much, but it sure hurts you. We don't want it because the Lord doesn't like it at all. Look in your Bibles at Jeremiah 48 and verse 29, because I'd like to show you a verse there on how much your English Bible can help you with definitions if you'll learn it and use it. Jeremiah chapter 48. We want to look at the word pride and see if the Bible itself helps define it with some synonyms. Look at this verse, Jeremiah 48 and verse 29. You hardly need a dictionary if you'll use your Bible well. Look at what it says. We have heard the pride of Moab, Jeremiah 48, 29. We have heard the pride of Moab. He is exceeding proud. His loftiness and his arrogancy and his pride and the haughtiness of his heart. Now, the Lord's kind to us. In one verse, we have a very exceeding proud nation described as being lofty, as being arrogant, and as being haughty in his heart. And that's what we're going after. That haughty, arrogant, conceited, proud, high opinion of yourself that is very displeasing to God. We want to examine ourselves, and we want to ask the Lord to search us and show us how much pride we have tonight so that we can shed it and get rid of it. Lord, help us. What it is is to think too highly of yourself. Look at Romans chapter 12. Some of you read this chapter last night. Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul said in verse 3, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. 
there's an admonition from the apostle for every man in the church at Rome not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And we ought to think rather lowly about ourselves because that's humility. If you'll turn over a few pages to Galatians chapter 6, if you think highly of yourself, there's a problem. And it's a problem inside you. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. You lie to yourself when you get a high opinion of yourself because you're convincing yourself that you're something when you're nothing. Now, does this verse only apply to men who are nothing, that they shouldn't think of themselves as being something, that they're deceiving themselves? Or does this verse apply to all of us because all of us are nothing if we're measured right? Amen. Okay, good. I don't have to explain that. The verse applies to all of us because all of us are nothing if we measure ourselves right. Now, one of the problems of pride is we measure ourselves with those that we think we're better than so that we have a good feeling about ourselves. But if we measure ourselves by this, we always come up wanting. And that shows that we have pride. Now, there's a word that we heard, we learned way back in school called an antonym. What in the world does that mean? Those are the words that are the op, not synonyms are words that are similar or have similar definitions, and they help explain a word. An antonym is an opposite word. And let me give you a few of those. Humility is the opposite of being proud. Humbleness of mind, meekness, and poverty of spirit. Being poor in spirit, having a broken and a contrite heart are all descriptions of the opposite of pride. Pride thinks your heart's in pretty good condition. A broken heart is, I am wrong. Lord, you are right. I am nothing. You are everything. Help me or I die. A broken heart that comes to the Lord with nothing and claims nothing. The first sin in this universe that God made was the sin of pride. The first sin was the sin of pride. It wasn't a sex sin. There wasn't such a thing in heaven. See, that's a gift God gave to men. But there was a sin before, Adam and Eve sinned, and it was the sin of pride. Now, the place we get that from is 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6, because the first sinner that we read about in the Bible is the devil, not Eve and not Adam. It's the devil. And we're told in 1 Timothy 3, 6, that a novice should never be ordained because he'll get puffed up in pride from being such an inexperienced man in the faith, and people counting on him, he'll fall into the condemnation of the devil. He'll fall into the same sin the devil fell into and was condemned. And that's pride. The first sin in our universe was pride. That makes it scary right there. And what did God do to a being far greater than us that sinned one time in pride? He cast him out of heaven and bound him in chains and has reserved him for everlasting judgment. This is serious business that we're talking about. God hates pride because pride is thinking higher of yourself than what he created you for. He gave each of us a station in life. He gave each of us abilities. He put us in relationship to others. And if we think too highly of ourselves and get out of line for where God put us, we're like the devil. The devil was the anointed cherub of God. If we can trust the two other passages that refer to two kings, but say way too much for those kings. They're referring to the devil behind those kings. It says he was the anointed cherub of God, but he wasn't content. And I'll come back to that little word. That's how you can tell if you have pride or not. One of the measures as to whether you're content. The devil wasn't content. He said, I will be like the Most High, and we had the first sin in the universe. It was the devil's pride. Now, I want you to think about how the devil works on us. Please think with me. You can handle this. The devil has a small bag of tricks. And they're really limited to three categories. 1 John 2.16 tells us that all that is in the world, help me, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the three ways the devil goes after us. Now, the devil's a master at the pride of life. But I want you to think about those three and watch the devil use them. 
When the devil assaulted our Lord Jesus Christ in the wilderness, he used those three categories for the three temptations. Jesus was hungry, so he said, turn this stone to be bread. That was the lust of the flesh. Then he took him up into a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, which was the lust of the eyes. Then he took him up onto the temple and he said, if you're the son of God, there's a verse that says the angels will catch you if you fall off. Go ahead and show us that you're the son of God. That's daring him. When you're dared, what wells up inside of you? Pride. Do do we all understand? The devil dared the Lord Jesus Christ. If, did the devil know he was the son of God? Did Jesus know he was the son of God? Was there any reason to use the word if? It was to try to see if there was any pride in the Lord Jesus. If you're the son of God, then why don't you show it by relying on this verse? Because this verse is written for you. Jesus didn't say you're using the verse incorrectly. Jesus said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Do you see the devil at work? going at? Do you know what would well up in you if I said, if you're anything, show me something. If you really think you're something, show me. You know what wells up inside of you? Pride. And there's the devil working on our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go all the way back to Eve. When the devil approached Eve, did he use the same three categories? It says that Eve looked at the tree and that it looked like a tree good for food. That is the lust of the flesh. She looked at it and it was a tree beautiful to look upon. That is the lust of the eyes. And she said it looked like a tree that could make one wise. There's the pride of life. The devil told her, if you'll eat that tree, the fruit off that tree, God's trying to keep a secret from you. You could be as wise as he is. You'll be like God. And there's that temptation to be something greater than what the position that God put you in. And that is how pride has been used throughout the world and throughout the history of man. You know, you can avoid, you can turn the TV off. You cannot go to certain places and you can stay at home. And do you know what? You can do a great big help. You can help yourself a great deal by cutting off opportunities to be deceived by the lust of the eyes. Are you all with me on that? Amen. You watch what you read. Cut out the television. Don't travel in circles that you don't need to where there's things that tempt you and you can help the lust of the eyes. If you are a disciplined person and you set the rest of your family members to help you in, in, the, in the lust of your flesh, you can rule them rather easily. They can be ruled much more than what I'm about to tell you. You can cut off the television and protect yourself from the lust of the eyes. You can only have a certain amount of food brought to your table and it can help you with the lust of the flesh. But what do you know what the pride of life you carry with you 24-7? When you're laying in bed and your little mind starts twirling around something that someone said during the day that irritated you a little bit, that's the pride of life. You're just walking along merrily and someone says something to you and it just it, it hits some little nerve. That's the pride of life. It's the hardest one, and it's the one we want to look at, and we want to hate it, and tonight we want to examine ourselves, and we're not... I want to try to be efficient with my use of time tonight, show you that I can do it after this morning. I want to show you, but I want you to be thinking about where is pride in my life and how serious this thing is called pride. That's how the devil uses it. You carry that pride all the time because your mind's just twirling along, Someone, you know, you're a, you're, you're a wife and your husband asks you to do something you don't really want to do. What wells up? It's, what, is it wisdom that wells up? Is it the Holy Spirit that wells up? It's pride that wells up. Pride. We want to get rid of that. We do not want pride. A woman has a role in a marriage. And when she thinks, when she is not content with that role and wants more, she's got pride or she would be content. She thinks that her husband isn't treating her worthy of her great person. That's pride. And she's got it 24-7. She lays in bed and thinks about it. Everywhere she goes, she thinks about it. I could be having a better life. Why does she even think that thought? Because she thinks she deserves a better life. It all flows from pride. And I could pick on the men. I don't have time to 
illustrate every single one of us in here, but do you understand we're carrying that with us all the time? Things happen, and something wells up inside, and that is pride, and we want to get rid of it. God help us. Nebuchadnezzar learned, didn't he? He was walking through his palace. Daniel had already warned the man. You'd think he knew a little bit about Daniel. But he walked through his palace and he said, Look at the beauty of this house that I've built for the honor of my name. What a, what a spread I've got. What a city I've got for me. I'm the king of it all. And a voice fell from heaven. Nebuchadnezzar, all these things are going to be taken away from you. We're going to put you on a leash, a leash for seven years. But do you know what it says nine verses later? Now I honor and extol and bless the king of heaven, all whose ways are truth and just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to abase. Brethren, let's learn that lesson. Let's learn that lesson with this, okay? Daniel's coming to you tonight. Let's learn it this way rather than going on a leash for seven years. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'll do mine. Anyone in here been put in a leash for a while? Pride. I don't want to go on a leash. I don't want to have my hairs grown out like bird feathers and my nails like bird's claws. I want to learn from the Word of God. Amen. Because the Lord can take you, the Lord will get rid of your pride, but you, it's painful. So why don't we get rid of it the easy way with the Word of God tonight? What are the symptoms of pride? How do you know that you've got it? That's what a symptom is, right? You go to the doctor and say, these are my symptoms, and he says, you have a disease. Well, pride is a disease. Here's how we tell. Pride has little use for God. How much time do you spend seeking the Lord in reading His Word and in prayer? Because, see, a man with pride doesn't feel any need for that because he's, he feels pretty self-sufficient. He feels pretty good about himself. Do you ever remember a Pharisee praying in Luke 18 who said, Lord, I thank Thee that I'm not like this pitiful publican down here. I mean, I do this and I do this. I'm nothing like, oh, that's pride. So they don't seek after God. Look at Psalm 10.4 with me. Psalm 10.4. How eager and how much time do you spend reading the Bible and praying to the Lord because that shows that you need Him. That shows that you depend on Him. And if you don't do it, it's a statement that you're pretty well off without Him. Psalm 10, verse 4. The wicked, look at what it says, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. If you run around and live your life on a daily basis and you don't have time for the Lord, it must be because you think that you're okay without him. That's pride. There's a symptom. You don't read and pray with a real desire for it. So let's kindle that desire. Let's get down and do it. Let's get down and say, Lord, I need your word. I need you. Without you, I fail in life and eternity. Pride likes to pick on the little people. Anyone below you. You're a husband, you pick on your wife. You pick on your kids. You're a boss, you pick on those that work for you. You pick on people that you can. Look at verse 2 in the same chapter. The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. That's what the Lord has to say about a proud man. Let him be taken in the devices that he has imagined against others. How merciful are you to the people under you? Because if you're not merciful to them, why why is it? Because you're proud, you think that you are so much better than they are, so you pick on those that are in a lesser role than you have, or maybe not have the gifts that you have. Pride. We're looking at symptoms. It's how you treat those under you. How about your speech? Look at Psalm 59 and verse 12. You know how many times the book of Proverbs talks about the fool giving giving himself away with his mouth? Well, a proud man gives himself away with his mouth because he wants to talk all the time. Do you know why he likes to talk? Because he loves the sound of his own voice. It's just music to his ears. Have you ever watched one in a group of people? When someone else starts talking and he's cut off for a while, just grinds him. He gets antsy. He just doesn't want to stand there because he doesn't get to hear his own voice. He loves to talk. He wants you to hear his voice too because it's the best voice. That's what pride is. Psalm 59 and verse 12. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride and for cursing and lying which they speak. 
And we could multiply this witness. But one of the symptoms is how you talk. Do you like to talk all the time? Or can you shut up and listen? Are you the kind that is, while someone's talking to you, all you're thinking about is what you're going to say as soon as they stop for a breath? You want to unload your wisdom on them. You know, there's a symptom of pride. Fighting. Look at Proverbs 13.10. Are you a person that has other people at odds with you? If you have other people at odds with you, it's because of pride. If you didn't have pride, there wouldn't be any fighting because you'd have let them have their own way or you'd have been so nice to them, nobody'd be angry at you. This is a symptom. Do you have strained relationships with multiple people? Or does everybody consider you an easygoing, friendly guy? There's a difference between pride and humility. Look at Proverbs 13 and verse 10. Only by pride cometh contention. Does everybody believe that verse tonight? Only by pride cometh contention. The little rule is it takes two to fight. No, it takes two with pride to fight. Because if one of them doesn't have pride, he's just going to give up the fight and forfeit, and the fight ends. Only by pride cometh contention. So you've got to ask yourself, how well do you get along? Is there contention between you and anyone? It's pride. We're talking about the symptoms. Proverbs 25, 27. Oh, this one hurts a little. Maybe I should skip it. Have you ever known me to do that in the past? This one hurts a little. A man that's proud when he's in a conversation loves to slip himself a lozenge lozenge every now and then, a piece of candy. He loves to slip himself a little piece of candy. And that little piece of candy is to let out his ability or his knowledge on something or something he's accomplished or how difficult his life is compared to yours. And when those things slip out, those are little candies that he's feeding himself their pride. Because here's what it says in the Bible, 25, 27. It is not good to eat much honey. So for men to search their own glory is not glory. And 27, 2, right across the page would say, let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. When you're in a conversation, are you intent on the other person listening to what they're doing and believing and convincing yourself that their situation is worthy of your full attention? Or are you slipping in every now and then a little bit about yourself so that they understand, yeah, you, you have it as bad as they do, and maybe if, if they'd really think about it, your situation's even worse than theirs. Or if they're talking about something, you just correct them and tell them, no, that's not the way it is. This is the way it is. That's pride. Searching out your own glory and squeezing it into a conversation. Focus on the other person. It's going to be one of our cures in a minute. Focus on the other person instead of yourself. Slipping in little tidbits about your ability or about the difficult things in your life so that the other person will think what a hero he is. Because look at the problems he's putting up with in his life. Pride causes men to resent correction. Look at 26.16. Thank you, Lord, for putting them so close together. 26.16. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. I wrote a proverb about it recently. Did you all remember? I know it's been so long since you got a proverb, you think that I've retired. But do you remember that this, pro- this particular proverb was a very good one? And it is a very good one. But this man who can't ever really get anything done in his life and never really owns anything because he's just too slothful, if seven men come by with good reasons and tell him, the reason you're poor is because you don't get out of bed in the morning. He's always got an excuse because a man with pride doesn't listen. He's already convinced himself that his situation is out of control and it's not his fault. It's other people's fault. And as verse 16 says, he's wiser in his own conceit. His pride will not let him listen to anyone else tell him it's his fault. He always wants to blame it on circumstances or someone else or his upbringing or fate or chance or something. He's he's got his excuse, even if seven wise men line up and try to tell him. Pride doesn't want to be told that the way they're doing something is wrong. Now, let's really think about that. You know, when you get a teenager in the house, and I have had a few of them, 
I don't like the way you're dressing. That's a pretty ugly outfit. You know, what, what, do, you, what do you see on their face? I won't look at you, children. I'll try not to. There's a lot of you here. You know, you see it well up in their face. It's pride because they don't like to be told that they're wrong. Here is some little teeny, teeny bopper who thinks they know how to dress. You know, they were wearing diapers last year. And now they think they know how to dress. And the parents say, you would look a lot better if you would do this. And you see it come up in their face. What is that thing that drives up that color into their face that they don't want to listen to their parents? What is it? Pride. Pride. It's pride. Now, t- teenagers don't have a corner on the pride market. We've all bought our share of it. And when somebody comes along and says, you shouldn't be doing that, we want to defend it, we want to give them eight reasons why we're doing it, and we want to tell them, well, you're doing this, and that's wrong too. There's all these defense mechanisms we throw up. Where does all that come from? Pride. The Bible tells us that it comes from pride. And we had better learn that the basic, fundamental prerequisite for wisdom is learning how to take someone telling us you are wrong. What you're doing is wrong. This is the way it ought to be done. And if you can learn that, you are well on the road to wisdom. That's what the book of Proverbs teaches us. These are symptoms. How do you like being corrected? Symptoms. Do you know, do you know most sins flow out of pride? Let me give you a few examples. If you take the time to think about your sins... Does it come from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life? Just think a minute. Why does a person backbite or bear tales or whisper about another person? Why do they do that? Is it because it's a lust of the flesh? The belly button just needs to do that? Is it lust of the flesh? Is it the lust of the eyes? The eye sees another person and the eyes just say, I gotta hurt them. What is it? It's the pride of life. The pride of life says, i got to keep that person down by spreading bad things about them to keep me up. It's pride. Pride generates these sins. All sins drop into three categories. Lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. When a person is discontented about their life and they're whining about their life, what's driving that whining? What's driving that discontentment? It's pride. I am worthy of a better life than this. That's what they're thinking. Now, they don't like to tell it to you that way. And they usually don't. They usually don't come up to you and say, I'm unhappy because I deserve better than this. They just whine and complain about somebody else or something else that's making them so unhappy. The reason they're unhappy is because they have set the standard way up here because they think so high of themselves. No one's ever going to get up there because you're not worth it. You're thinking too highly of yourself. Get down and we'll all surprise you with how much we do for you. If you'll get your measurement down. But it all comes from pride. Why do some people have a difficult time forgiving someone else? It's pride. They hurt me. I couldn't let them get away that easy. Just because they said they're sorry? Just because they made restitution and said they were sorry ten times? They aren't going to get away with it. That's pride that causes that. Why does a spouse, okay, have any of you that are married ever gone to bed a little torqued at the other person that gets into your marital bed? Ever done that? Or am I the only one in here? You know, when you get into bed and you're a little torqued with the other person and you're laying there thinking, well, don't they know that they hurt my feelings? Shouldn't they roll over here and cuddle up to me and get this thing taken care of? What, where, what is driving that thinking? Are you all, what's driving that thinking? Pride. They are going to crawl to me. I am not going to roll over and face them and apologize for anything. They are coming to daddy. Or they're coming to mama. Whatever the case might be. Do you know what that is? It's pride. Right. Now, you, you guys are all smiling at me because we, we all know that we live in this world and we have pride. But, but do, you know, do you know what? You know how you get rid of pride and prove you don't have it? Roll over and make up. Then make out. Roll over and do it. But you know, when, when you're waiting for them to do it, there's only one thing. Do you know what? But I can re- do you want to hear how fast I can reason? Reasons for me to stay there and make her do it? I'm not even going to tell you. 
I can start stringing them together. It's a matter of principle. It's my job to train her. She ought to know better because she's been married to me for 27 years, and I've told her that a thousand times that it irritates me. And we just, and all that is pride. Why don't we just want to humble ourselves and roll over and take care of it? Pride. Let's hate pride. We can walk out of here tonight the better for it by hating pride. What are its consequences? I'm moving on. Those are symptoms. What are the consequences of having pride? You're going down. You're going down. Let's go to chapter 16. Let's read a couple of verses together out loud. Let's go first of all to Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18. If you have pride and you let it remain in your life, you are going down. And I'm going to tell you how you go down because of pride. But let's read in unison 16:18 from the book of Proverbs. Pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. Look at what it says. Pride and a haughty spirit are going to take you down and destroy you, and you're going to fall. Next verse is 18.12. Let's turn to 18.12. We don't have time to stay here and enjoy every word of these Proverbs, but hopefully you can understand them. Proverbs 18.12, together. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. What a wonderful verse. Before destruction. When you see destruction come into a man's life, there must have been some haughty spirit there before that. And do you want to get some honor? Get down. Before honor is humility. Let's go to chapter 29. Chapter 29. God resents it when he sniffs pride in our life. He resents it because we are unhappy with him for not giving us a better role. And he gets angry about it. He gets jealous about it. He gets angered by it. He got angered with the devil. And he hates pride. The Bible is filled with admonitions against pride. You could preach on it forever. It's one of the great sins of men. And it leads to so many other sins. Look at 29.23 and let's read it together. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Those three verses were three witnesses that God sent us. Those three witnesses told us that pride that thinks highly of yourself is going to take you down. Now, see, we believe that when an apple is released from a tree, it falls down because we believe in gravity. But if we believe the Word of God, when a man has pride, he is going down just as surely as the apple goes down. You're going down. So those are the consequences of it. God cannot stand a man in pride. That is why Nebuchadnezzar says, those that walk in pride, he is able to abase, because he will abase them. Do you remember Herod? Herod was another king. Herod Agrippa I. Speaking in Acts chapter 12, in his royal robes, and the people said, it's the voice of a god, not a man. Oh, I never got a grade like that when I was in speech class to be told that it was the voice of God and not a man. Now, you can imagine it puffed the man up to hear that. And he didn't give God the glory. And what happened to him? Worms ate him. He died a miserable death in a couple of days. Worms ate him. He fell down and worms consumed him because God hates pride. That man was taking too much on himself. He was just a little king of a little nation appointed by the Roman Caesars. And he took too much on him, and God cut him down. God resists the proud. Do you know that those that's in the Bible twice? James 4 and 1 Peter 5. I won't turn you there. I'm going to trust that you know it's there. Let me just say the words to you again. God resisteth the proud. Do those, ver- do those words scare you? God resisteth the proud. I do not want God resisting me. For some reason, I believe he is an immovable object. For some reason, I believe he is an irresistible force. If he is resisting me, there is no progress in my life. But he giveth grace to the humble. How's that for a a counter side to that coin? He giveth grace to the humble. If you will get down and get rid of your pride, he will pour grace 
blessing and favor upon you for getting down and staying in your proper position, role, and thoughts about yourself. But if you get lofty thoughts about yourself, if you get irritated with the way other people treat you, if you think you're mistreated, God is going to resist you. Your life is going to be miserable. That's the promise of Scripture. These are the consequences of being proud. Look at Proverbs 25 and verse 8. Proverbs 25 and verse 8. The first thing that happens when you're proud is God turns to be your enemy because God resents your pride. God will push you down if you think you're something more than you are. He'll push you down. There will be supernatural influences in your life of resistance from the Most High, and you know all he has to do is breathe against you. Remember in the book of Haggai, it says, I blew against you. They couldn't get anything done. There were holes in their bags. They, they couldn't get they, No progress because he just blew against them. And God can just blow against you a little bit and nothing will happen. Those words should scare you. But now there's another reason why a man with pride is going down. The first reason is God's going to push you down. Second reason is there's some natural consequences of pride. Pride thinks that your opinion is super cool. Pride thinks that you are right. Pride thinks that you have a hand, you have a corner on the wi- the market of wisdom. Pride thinks that you're right and everyone else is wrong. Pride thinks I can do it because I've got this one handled. Look what happens. Twenty five eight is an example. Go not forth hastily to strive, lest thou know not what to do in the end thereof, when thy neighbor hath put thee to shame. Pride. Because it convinces, it, pride is this force inside you that lies to you. You're right and you don't need anyone else. So you go and you make a hasty decision and then you're punished for it. Because you made it too hastily because pride is blinding. Pride blinds you. Look at 26.12 for the same explanation. 26.12, seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. A man that's a fool only has one problem. He's dumb. He's ignorant. A man that's a fool only has one problem. He's ignorant. But this other man has two problems. He's ignorant and he thinks he's not. Now that's really dangerous. When you get a man that's dumb and he thinks he's smart, you've got a real problem. He's worse than a fool. And he's going to make mistakes worse than a fool because he's blinded to his own ignorance. Do you understand how pride works? Pride puffs you up so that you don't want to listen to others and you make hasty, foolish, impulsive decisions. That's how it brings you down. That's why, the Bible, that's why Solomon is warning his son, Son, when you get out there on your own and you are thinking too highly of yourself, you're going to make decisions and it's going to cost you the kingdom. It'll cost you your life. It'll cost you your peace. Humble yourself down. Pride steals caution. This is what I just taught you. Pride steals your caution away and tempts you to foolish and unnecessary risks. Let me think of a New Testament verse. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. See, that pride that says, I'm doing pretty good as a Christian. I've got things under control. I'm doing pretty good. That you're throwing caution to the wind in the whole Bible. Do you know what Jesus said over and over? To be vigilant. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Watch, pray, be vigilant. And here's a man. As soon as you get that proud feeling that you're doing pretty well as a Christian, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. May we ever be coming to the Lord telling him, we cannot stand unless you hold me up. It steals prudence and tempts men to ignore wise counsel. Let's go back to 26.16. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. Here's a dumb sluggard. Sleeps in too long, paces himself on the job. He's a loser. Seven men line up that are wise, and they give him their reasons and their explanations of how he could be successful. But that pride that wells up within him holds all their counsel at arm's length because he doesn't want to admit that he's wrong and they're right. And so that man is ruined. Now, how do you like being corrected? Now, I've said it before, but that's because it's a common definition of being proud, whether you do dislike or resent being corrected. 
When you have pride, here's a consequence, and here's how you go down. You are tempted to not ask for counsel, and you are tempted to ignore it when you do ask for it. Therefore, you lose the benefit that God gave for safety, because it's in a multitude of counselors that a man finds safety. If you're making a big decision in your life, go get some other counselors. But you know what? There's something inside us that doesn't even want to go ask. And then that something inside us, once we're told, and it's different than what we had thought we were going to do and really wanted to do, we ignore it. And then we run smack into a wall, lose some money, and we back up. And I hope that we've learned. But see, some people don't learn. But let's learn from this. Pride keeps you from learning from the wisdom of others. It steals prudence from men and it tempts them to continue pressing in a situation where they've already lost. Have you seen somebody in a situation, I, I can't think of one right offhand, so forgive me, but you're in a situation, you've already lost, the Lord's already re- revealed that it's a foolish venture, but they keep on pressing in it because pride is too great to say, this was a bad decision, I've lost some money, I'm bailing out right now, we'll go try something else. But see, that's wisdom. Pride says, keep on going. You don't have to admit you're wrong. You know, you just get in there and you can work it out. That's pride. And we, and we watch people continue to press in a losing matter. What are the cures? What are the cures for pride? Look at chapter 8 of this wonderful book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8. We've seen its symptoms. I hope that you're all thinking, do you have it? I hope you're all thinking, I've got it. I hope you see the danger of it. Now let's talk about the cures. Chapter 8 and verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. The fear of the Lord. We can never get away from it, can we? It is the fundamental prerequisite to our lives to be successful. The fear of the Lord is to esteem God as an awesome, reverent, reverential being in heaven that we do not want to displease. We want to do all that we can to honor Him and to please Him. That's the fear of the Lord. And one of the things we have to, the thing we have to get rid of to please Him is pride and arrogancy. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy do I hate. Fear of the Lord involves coming along and getting yourself down while you're putting God up. Our goal in life and our relationship with the Lord is to make Him as high as we can and ourselves as low as we can. And the more we do that, the humbler we are and the more that we will worship Him acceptably. We want to separate ourselves from God. Our sweet psalmist of Israel would say in Psalm 4.4, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed. Be still. Selah. Think about those words. Stand in awe. Stand in awe of the greatness of God and that you are nothing in his sight. You know all the descriptions in the Bible. You're a worm. You're a grasshopper. You're nothing. You're less than nothing. You're vanity. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart. Talk to your own heart about how great he is, how low you are. Be still. Selah. Stop and think about that wonderful advice you just got in Psalm 4.4. i got to keep moving. The fear of the Lord is to put God up and to put yourself down. That is wisdom. That is, that is humility. Because you're putting yourself down before the great God. The Bible tells us that a man who's down is going to come with a broken heart and a poor spirit. A poor spirit is one that is not claiming anything before God. A broken heart is one saying, I'm wrong and you're right. And that broken-hearted man that comes with repentance and a poor spirit, he comes to God and he, and he trembles before his word. This is what the Bible teaches. You tremble before the word of God. Anyone can say, I fear the Lord. Anyone can say it. Do you know how I know if you fear the Lord? Do you tremble before every verse out of this Bible? That is how you tell. And when you tremble before the word of God, that means you're not puffed up on your own opinions, is it? does it? You're trembling before God's opinions. You're counting your own opinions as being worthless. And you're saying, Lord, show me from your word what is right. That's what I want. That is humility. That is the fear of the Lord. That is a cure for pride. 
fear God, tremble at his word. See, your pride is always thinking, well, this is the way I've always done it. This is the way my parents did it. This is what I feel comfortable with doing. This is what I am doing. I like it this way. Those are all pompous, proud, rebellious statements and thoughts. Those should never go through our heart or our mind. We want to tremble before the word of God. Whatever God says, that's what I need to do. If you're a spouse right now and the relationship with your spouse is not as good as it should be, then what does the Bible say about it? Because it's been taught from this pulpit. The Bible tells us what to do. And therefore, you go home and you do it. You don't say, I'm going to wait for her to do it or him to do it. I'm going to go do it. You're going to tremble before the word of God. You're going to say to yourself, what if Jesus Christ comes tonight and catches me with this bad relationship with my spouse? That's trembling before the word of God. That man doesn't have pride. But the man who says, I'll wait till tomorrow, that is pride. Because he's not trembling before the word of God. Stand in awe and sin not. You know, Job did. You know, Job for, four, for, for 31 chapters said, Lord, you come down here and we'll have a little talk because you're not treating me right. Well, the Lord came down and they had a little talk, but it was one-sided. God did all the talking and Job did all the listening. And you know, when he got done, Job said, I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes. 42, 5 and 6. That's what we want to do. Now, let's move to something even more practical. Pray like a fool. Pray like a fool. Can I show you that that's what you ought to do? Psalm 131 and verse 1. Just hold on for a few more minutes. Well, this is the most important part of the sermon. If I quit now, we lose the best part. The best part is what cures do we have for pride? We fear God. We have a broken heart. We tremble at His word. And we stand in awe of Him. Are a, are a few things that I've mentioned. But now I want to give you something very practical. Pray like a fool. Psalm 131, verse 1. Here's a prayer of David, a man after God's own heart. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. You know, I don't think Solomon just heard... Solomon's words in 1 Kings 3 weren't the first time about saying, I'm going to get to that in just a second, I am a little child. His father had this kind of a prayer. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in matters too high for me. Now David could exercise himself about as high as any man on earth. But notice how he's talking to the Lord. Is this pretty different from the, the Pharisee that said, Lord, I thank thee that I'm not like this publican. Is, that, is it quite a bit different? Right. Pray like a fool. Now can you remember that? Can you go out of here tonight and when you're at Burger King, getting your fries and your burger, can you still remember to tonight when you get home and you're in your bed or you're beside your bed to pray like a fool? Pray like a fool, like these verses right here in Psalm 131. 1 Kings 3, don't turn there. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a, in a vision, in a, in a dream in the night, and said, what do you want from me? And Solomon said, I am but a little child. He's praying like a fool, just like his dad. I am but a little child. I don't know how to go out or to come in before this so great a people. Every father, you should get down and say, Lord, I'm just a child myself. I don't know how to be a good husband or a good father. You've got to help me. Do you know what you'll get from a prayer like that? You'll get grace poured out on you. If you don't ever make a prayer like that, as if you know it all on how to be a good husband, the, the Lord will resist your efforts. Get down and pray like a fool. Didn't we just learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18, if you want to be wise, then you've got to become a fool first? Didn't we learn that? Amen. It's the same principle right here. When you humble yourself, God will lift you up. When you think that you're something, God will put you down. So when we, are, when we have our relationship with God, after we fear Him, set Him up, stand in awe, tremble at His word, then when we get into the actual exercise of our religion of praying, we pray like a fool. Do it. I never hardly refer to personal. I know it works. 
And for those of you that have ever done it, it does work. You can be facing a dilemma in your life. And if you will get down and say, I don't know what to do. I'm a fool. He'll give you an answer. If I stay at the keyboard, I'm going to work this one out. You know, and I start talking to myself, you know, there isn't anybody that breathes air in this state that's more analytical than you are, pup. Go for it. You can, listen, I don't talk like that very often. I'm trying. Please follow the illustration. You're pretty analytical. You should be able to figure this out. You know the Bible. Come on, bring all your powers to bear. Concentrate. Go get a Mountain Dew and a bag of peanut M&Ms and see if you can't figure it out. Juice yourself up on some sugar and go for it. You know what's the most efficient way to do it? Shut down and go over and get down in your prayer chair and say, Lord, I'm a fool. I'm a fool and I don't know how to figure this Bible out. Show it to me. Probably by the time you get back to your keyboard, you've got an answer. If it doesn't come right then, you'll get in the middle of the night. Jehoshaphat. I want you to remember these men that prayed like a fool. Remember Jehoshaphat? They brought that huge army against him. He got news of it, and he opens up his prayer. And he says, Lord, we have no might. He's He's got this whole army assembled. We have no might. And I don't know what to do. I've taught you this before. I don't know what to do. Immediately, a prophet stands up and says, Israel, stand still. And see the salvation of God. The Lord will fight for you today. You will not have to fight. Amen. And all they did was take three days to clean up the spoil. Brethren, there's a secret in that. You didn't even pay for this secret tonight. But there's a secret. Pray like a fool. To get rid of your pride. Pray like a fool. Jesus once called a little child to him. A little child came running over. He took him up in his lap. The disciples were wondering who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, until you become like this little child, you will not get into the kingdom of heaven, and you certainly won't be great. You know, these little children in here after the service, you talk to them, there's no malice, there's no pompous pretensions. A five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old child, they have no pompous pretensions about how great they are. They're just simple little children. They're just having a good time. And you know what the Lord wants us to be like? Simple little children just having a good time with our wonderful Heavenly Father. Lord, I'm a child. I'm a fool. I don't know what to do. I have no might. I'm not smart enough. This Bible can help me. How long was Peter's prayer when he began to sink in the water? Lord, save me. Did it work? Mm -hmm. Length never helped anyone. Pray as a fool. Do you know another way you can pray for a fool that's very practical? Pray for your enemies. Do you think pride wants you to pray for your enemies? Have you ever got down to pray for your enemies because your pastor has told you to pray for your enemies? And you get down and you say, well, I'll leave that one till tomorrow. I need another sermon on praying for my enemies before I pray for that one. Do you know how you really pray as a fool? Pray for the enemy that you can't stand the most, that in your flesh causes you the most trouble and you resent the most. Because when you get down and pray that way, the Lord knows you are putting yourself down under someone that by nature you would never put yourself under. That person is not even in the room, but you are getting down under them and you're saying, Lord, don't punish them for anything they've done to me. In fact, bless them and be good to them. Help them. You have put yourself way down. You really want to get rid of pride? Pray for your enemies. Pray like a fool. And while you're praying like a fool, pray for your enemies. Don't try to take some position you're not ready for. It'll puff you up, and I'm giving you cures. Don't try to get in some role that you're not ready for. It'll puff you up in pride. That's why ministers are, are supposed to be ordained that are seasoned men in the truth, lest they get puffed up. Have a holy hatred for anything like a backdoor compliment. I've told you what a backdoor compliment is before. I'll remind you very quickly. A backdoor compliment is when you say to someone else, you say the Lord or you think it inside. Lord, thank you for giving me these fantastic abilities and your blessing upon them. You know, that's not thanking the Lord for anything except yourself. That is not right. That is not done in the Bible. <clears throat> you know, they interview some athlete, and they, they ask the athlete about some great performance that he's just had. And he says, I want to thank the Lord for giving me such fantastic ability that's better than anybody else in the NFL. That's not humility. Humility. 
And that's not thanking the Lord. That's just a backdoor compliment. We don't even want to go toward that. Do you know what the Apostle Paul would say? I am what I am by the grace of God. Do you know what the Apostle Paul would say about himself? I, who am less than the least of all saints. Now that's low. Paul knew how to pray and talk like a fool. We learned in 1 Corinthians 4 that everything you have is a gift from God. Why are you glorying about it like it isn't a gift? Forget glorying about anything you've got. God just gave it to you. And you know when we're done? When we're done with this whole life and we've burned ourselves out day and night, do you know what we're going to say? We're going to say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. That's the Bible definition of getting down. Is that how you think? Let your weaknesses out. Confess your faults. Tell other people about your weaknesses. Let them out. You know you have a weakness in some area? I can look at most of you, and some of you have told me about your weaknesses. Let it out. Tell somebody what you're not good at. You know, I'm not good at a lot of things, and and I hope I'm not afraid to tell all of you that, so that you know I'm an incompetent in a number of areas. But are, are you afraid of doing that? Are you trying to protect yourself by not letting other people know that you're incompetent in some part of your life? Let it out. See, once you let it out, then everybody knows about it and you can't think so highly of yourself. What we're doing is trying to cure ourselves of pride. Talk about what you can't do instead of what telling us what you can do. Tell us what you can't do. Love being corrected. If the righteous smite me, I'll count it a kindness. Have that kind of an attitude about being corrected. Never strive with some person for vain glory. There should be no fighting. If there's fighting in the church, some... Someone striving for vain glory. The Bible calls it empty glory, profitless glory, vain glory. The Bible tells us to think and esteem others more important than ourselves. Philippians 2, 3. This is a cure for pride. Think about anyone in here and make them more important than you. Philippians 2, 3. Then the next verse is think on their things rather than your own things. Walk up to them and make sure the conversation stays on their things. That's humility. That's getting rid of pride. Then the next verse says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He humbled himself all the way down to the death of the cross for us. What an example we have of getting rid of any pretensions. Does does that passage say that he was in the form of God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God? Does it say that? Did he have some reasons to think rather highly of himself? Did he get rid of all that and humble himself for us? He did indeed, and he's an example for every one of us. You want to get rid of your pride? If you've got a difference with someone, get rid of it tonight. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 22, 23, and 24, if you've got a problem with a brother and you come to the altar, you leave your gift right there, and you run to that brother and you get things right, and then you come back and offer your gift. See, that's no, no pride. When you'll just run to take care of your differences, that's humility. Be agreeable. Condescend to men of low estate. Get down with the lowest members of the congregation. Play with the children once in a while. Get down to those younger than you, less competent than you, different than you. Get down with them. That's what the Lord wants us to do to get rid of pride. Don't compare yourself among yourselves. Second Corinthians 10:12 tells us that's a mistake to compare ourselves among ourselves. Focus on others, which is the secret to being the greatest. When the disciples were wondering who was going to be the greatest, Jesus taught them, he that serves among you will be the greatest. And so we all want to be servants. And we want to be servants that do it in secret where our left hand doesn't know what our right hand is doing. That's how we do our alms. There are men that give alms, but they give their alms to be seen of men. And it's just a function of pride. Giving money, giving things can be a matter of pride. So the Bible tells us don't even let your left hand know what your right hand. That's hyperbole. Your right hand is always going to know what your left hand is doing because they're both connected to one brain. It's hyperbole telling you do what you can to do it anonymously and in secret so there's no residual benefit that comes back to you. Keep it anonymous and quiet when you're a servant. Just do it. Just do your service and the Lord will reward you. That's a long list. When you get up in the morning, it's going to be on the Internet. If you were to fear God and hate any lofty thoughts of yourselves, 
and to pray like a fool, you'd be well on the road to success against pride. We carry it with us 24-7. You can defeat it by praying like a fool all the time. Lord, I'm just a fool. Help me. Be what I ought to be. I don't know how to do it. The Lord will bless you. God hates pride. He'll destroy you and the work of your hands if you keep it. 1 Corinthians 6-7 told us, Suffer yourselves to be defrauded. There's only one thing that keeps you from doing that. It's pride. 1 Peter 5-5 tells us to be clothed with humility. It's like taking a coat out of the closet and putting on humility. The man who puts on humility, the Lord is going to bless him with grace. But if you're proud and you're not in subjection to one another, he's going to resist you. Contentment flows out of getting rid of your pride. Happiness flows out of getting rid of your pride. You're unhappy because you have such lofty ideas on how others ought to be treating you, so you're always disappointed. Get rid of it. Serve others. You'll find your greatest happiness. This is the Christian religion. This is what Jesus requires of all of us. He's able to help those that come unto him seeking to get rid of their pride. May the Lord bless us. Amen.